Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Amen. Are you guys excited for this? Yes, this has been an awesome series. We're excited. Uh, for this, again, uh, for those of you that are new, we see some new faces today. Uh, I'm Joey. This is Tony. We're the pastors of Vertical Life Church. We want to say welcome. Uh, we're in week four of our marriage series we're calling Greatest Hits. We're going through the Song of Solomon and kind of sh- showing what the Bible is, is uh, revealing to us about how to have not just a fruitful and blessed, but a passionate and, and amazing marriage. And um, the Song of Solomon is a, a compilation of songs Solomon wrote, and he called them his best songs. And we believe that God wants to take your marriage, your relationship, from a one-hit wonder status to, to many number ones in, in your life. We just believe that, that God is passionate for marriage. And wherever you are right now, we, we believe that your best is yet to come. And so we want to, we want to encourage you with uh, our topic today. But before we get started, who's excited for more giveaways? Were you here last week? We gave some giveaways. Listen, I like giveaways as long as it's something I can use. I get excited about free stuff. Yeah. I really do. So who's excited about giveaways? Okay. Yeah. I know I can count on my sister Nancy to bring some energy. All right, but first got to answer some questions here. Was, is there anyone in the room, you can be an individual or a couple together, that began inviting Jesus into your relationship? And you didn't raise your hand last week. Anyone? Anyone? You guys got some homework to get oh, down caught front. up on. Down front. Oh, oh, my bad. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I forget. Okay. Good job, Colleen and Timmy. Or Tim. Ooh, way to set an example. Yes. They are on it. Go, Jesus. All right. But it's not over yet. If you're discouraged, feeling deflated in your seat, we have more. So hold on. Okay. Anyone in the room? began to commit working on those intimacy killers, deadly intimacy killers, toxic behaviors and how we communicate. Anyone been working on that either personally? Yes, back. Chris. Woohoo, go Chris. Okay. Yeah, give him a hand. I mean, this stuff is tough, so good for them. All right, one more, one more. This is from last week. Yep. Last week we gave some homework about the banner over our marriage. Um, coming up with the word that the Lord is writing over our marriage and also some little foxes to expose in our marriage. Did anyone come up with a banner over their marriage or start exposing some foxes and working through those? Anyone at all? Oh. Oh, she wasn't here last week, but Ryan raised his hand. All right, well, good news is all of our messages are on Facebook and on our website shortly. There you go. <laughs> so so we, we won't go back and reteach four hours of sermon right here today, <laughs> but you can b- go back and check that out. Well, so um, I already got you one of these, Ryan. Uh, so you have this. So rather than um, that, is there anyone here who would be honest and say, there's some stuff in my relationship, there's some pain that has just not been dealt with, and I need help? Nancy? Awesome. We're going to get this to you. This book, it's called The 21-Day Inner Healing Journey. 
And it, it, it's a 21-day devotional that helps you walk through a spiritual healing process so that you can find healing in your relationship. And so I think this is going to be really well worth it. This is by Jimmy Evans, um, and we've gotten a lot of our content from him. So let's give her a hand for being honest out there. Yep, raising her hand, Bless you. being vulnerable. And the truth is, if you're married, if you've been in a relationship, everybody's relationship has something that we're working through, yeah. something that we need to work on, something that isn't quite right or not how we would want it to be because we're all broken sinners, right? So as we get into our talk this week, this is week four, you've heard it said that knowledge is power, right? I'm reminded of the Schoolhouse Rock intro. It's great to learn because knowledge is power. Anyone feel me there? Okay, right? Yeah. I knew my sister would. She likes to sing little jingles all the time. But how many of us understand that information or knowledge, it doesn't have any power until we put it into practice? So knowledge with application is what equals transformation. Yeah. So we have to do something with that knowledge for it to become powerful in our life. So what we're trying to do as we go through these things, we're still going to we're going to focus on one fox that sneaks into our relationships undetected this week. But we're not just going to talk about it, reveal it, and expose it. We want to give you helpful tips so you can apply in your life how to do something about it, yeah. how to do something about it in your relationships, whether you're married or not. This is a little fox that gets into probably, I would say, almost every relationship. If you get close to anyone. Every kind of relationship. Yeah, every kind of relationship. And that would be the fox of rejection. Rejection. So rejection comes in big and small ways. We can feel rejected from a job interview. We go in, we think we have it in the bag, and then they decide not to go with, some with us. They decide to go with someone else, and we can take it personally. We can feel personally rejected, even though it's not a personal attack. Yeah. Um, I'm going to share something that happened to me this week uh -oh. because he's been hearing about it all week, so I think it's time for this you guys to notes. hear about it too. Okay, so... I started shifting because Joey makes money doing delivering groceries, and I thought it looked like a lot of fun. So it's not really to, I mean, the extra money's great, but it's not because I need to do it. I just wanted to because it looked fun, and I had time. So I'm going to start shifting, and I'm like, it's delivering groceries. I buy groceries all the time. We have four kids. If you don't know that about us, we have four kids. We buy tons of groceries. I should be good at this. Uh, my Joey's been doing it. My sister does. They give me all their tips, you know, so I go out. And I'm delivering groceries. I feel like I'm doing a great job. I'm picking stuff out. I'm communicating with the customers. I'm doing everything I'm told to do. And my rating drops on my stats from a 5.0, that's what you start out at, to a 3.0. And my husband's over there. He's, like, trying to make me feel better. He goes, but that rating, that is tragic. That is tragic. And I was like, it is tragic. <laughs> it is. Who would think my so gift of encouragement poorly to. about me? You know, I took it so personally when it might not be something that I even did. You know, it could be that they were rating the app and, it, and it, they accidentally rated me. I don't know. And that's the problem. I'm not going to know unless they leave feedback on Monday's email. I will figure out tomorrow. But I felt personally rejected. And everyone in my life was like, chill out. It's not a big deal. But when you struggle with perfectionism like I have traditionally, it's, it is a big deal. Yeah. I want, like, at least he has a 4.9 after six months. We're not going to. Okay, anyway. <laughs> he beats me at everything. And I wanted to at least. Like, tie. All right, I'm going to catch up. 
Someone can feel rejected when uh, they don't like your gift. You know, you put a lot of thought and energy into it. Um, you can reject a phone call, an invitation to hang out. You can be rejected by friends. You can be rejected by family. But as we're talking about marriage, and I think you could agree, the place where rejection probably sings the most is within the marriage, with your from yeah. coming from your partner or your spouse. Yeah, and as we talked about last week, we discovered in the Song of Solomon that the banner that Christ wants to have over our marriages, our relationship, is supposed to be the banner of love. And it's this, it's this place where we f are safe, where we find safety. That's what the banner was over military. It said th this is where you find your friends. This is where you find your camp, where, where you can retreat from the enemy and find a place of safety. And so the worst kind of rejection happens in that place where you're supposed to be safe. When the rejection comes into that safe place, that's why rejection in marriage hurts the most. According to uh, a website called goodtherapy.org, they define rejection like this. Simply, the act of pushing someone or something away. Pushing someone or something away. It can be experienced, uh, as Tony was saying, on a large or small scale in everyday life. I, it's typically a part of life. We, we experience little rejections uh, each and every day to some extent. But different types of rejection are more difficult to cope with and to deal with than in others. And in marriage, there are many ways we can feel rejected. There are many things that, that can happen that make us feel rejected. We can feel rejected in our marriages when we're not included in our spouse's plans. When, when, they, when they make plans, but they don't consider us as a part of that. We can feel rejected when we don't feel listened to or our feelings or emotions are dismissed when we're trying to communicate and they're just blowing us off. Uh, we can feel rejected when they're choosing to spend time with something over spending time with us. And we can probably feel the most rejected in the most painful ways in the area of our physical intimacy, the most private and the most delicate of places. There's no other place or source to be comforted in a marriage like your physical intimacy. You can't, you can't find that connection or comfort in any other aspect of your life, which makes it the most delicate. And when there's rejection in physical intimacy, it's difficult because your spouse is supposed to be the source, the singular source of that place of comfort and safety for you. And so rejection there hurts the most. And there are a few different ways that, that rejection can happen in our physical intimacy. And we'll have those listed on the screen for you if you're taking notes. Uh, the first way uh, we want to talk about rejection happening in our physical intimacy is through physical dysfunction. This is a reality that isn't really talked about because it can be, quite honestly, quite embarrassing depending on, on who you're talking to. But this is a struggle that affects both in the relationship. It's not just a female thing or a guy thing. It's, it's no surprise, study after study into this area it reveals that men typically pursue women intimately more. It's usually the, the man pursuing the woman more. But according to uh, some statistics on laynoran.com, 13 to 28 percent of men have some sort of physical dysfunction and low desire for physical intimacy. That, that's nearly a quarter of men. Uh, it's compared to about 15 to 40 percent of women who experience low desire. And studies into this show that in the, in the area of uh, female desire, it's a more complicated issue because of a lack of understanding of what fuels a female's desire. Without uh, knowing, uh, there, there are many things that kind of go into a, a woman's desire. But what these studies show us 
is that it's not always the case that the man is more dominant pursuer than the woman. It's not always the case, though our society tends to get us to think that. So if you're in a relationship where the, the woman, the wife, is a more dominant pursuer than the man, because of the cultural norms, that can feel like a rejection. It can feel like something is not right, that, that my spouse is broken somehow because he's not like all the other w- men in the room. Um, but it, what we've seen in the Song of Solomon, what's been pretty exciting about this text, and why I love the Word of God because it's so real, is that the wife is actually in hot pursuit of her husband. She, she's secure, she's vibrant, she's vocal. She's not afraid to leave her house and go all through town to try to find out where her husband is so that they can have a romantic encounter. And I'm sure if uh, I could take a poll of all the men in the room, they'd probably say, yes, I'd love my wife to be just like that, right? Um, that Definitely this preferred. Is, this, is, this is an amazing thing that we see here. But when there is a dysfunction in the area of physical intimacy, especially without communication, like you're struggling with something, you're, you're, you're embarrassed by it, so you don't talk about it, you're just trying to dismiss it, overlook it, sweep it under the rug. When you don't bring your spouse into that issue, the spouse can feel rejected. You know, if you're, if you're not taking it upon yourself to go see a doctor, a counselor, do something to improve that intimate uh, relationship, the other spouse can feel rejected in the most important area of your marriage relationship. Yeah, and not only, I, I like that you said that it's, you know, it's not always just the man pursuing. I think that's something that people need to hear because I think in the relationships where the woman is more dominant, yeah. they need to hear that it's... it's The woman's not weird. Right, that she's not And weird. the man's not yeah, broken. Exactly, that's good. Um, but not only is dysfunction something that can cause rejection in a relationship, um, also just misunderstanding of emotional needs between men and women. Yeah. A lot of times we don't understand how our spouse is wired, of course, because we're not the same. So like, like Pastor Joey said, it's really no secret that women tend to have a more um, complex view of intimacy than men. Would, you, would all the women in the room agree? Yes. Amen. Um, according to an article on WebMD, they say women's desire is actually more contextual, more subjective, more layered on a lattice of emotion. Men, however, don't need to have nearly as much imagination since physical intimacy is simpler and more straightforward for them. Well, aren't they lucky? No, I'm, j- I'm, just, I'm just kidding. But that doesn't mean that men don't seek love and connection in a relationship just like women. Yeah. That's not what it's saying. It's saying they just view the role of physical intimacy differently. The article goes on to say, women want to talk first. They want to connect first. They want to feel close. They want to feel connected Safe. and then yeah. have physical intimacy. And for men, physical intimacy is the connection. Physical intimacy is the language men use to express tender loving, their tender loving vulnerable side. It is their language of intimacy. Yeah. And I think that that's something that we need to understand. If we can get a grasp on this, I think it's really going to help us interpret our spouse's actions, attitudes, and emotions. Because for a man, if he's pursuing his wife and she's like, oh, I'm just not into it, you know, see you later, he's not just going to feel rejected from physical intimacy he's going to feel rejected from being able to express love and experience receive love and for a woman we don't really interpret it that way so on the other side 
if um, a man is pursuing his wife, but he hasn't taken into account her need for emotional connection, her need to feel close, if he hasn't been serving her and loving her outside of that moment, she may even go along with it. But she may end up feeling rejected in the moment and even sometimes used because if there's no communication from him, she doesn't know where his heart is. He's feeling loved and complete and whole, and she's over here feeling yeah. kind of empty. So. And then the guy freaks out whenever he wonders why his wife isn't happy with exactly, him. Exactly, yeah. All right, so someone once said, and this is kind of funny, when it comes to physical desire and romantic intimacy, someone once said that a man is like minute rice, but a woman is like a slow cooker, <laughs> right? Give a man a minute, he's ready to go. But a woman takes a lot longer to, to get to that place. To, you got to let her simmer, you know, before she's ready, right? So miscommunication in the bedroom is ground zero for rejection in a relationship, in, in, in the most tender parts of our marriage. And, beloved, we're not always going to get this right. We're, we're, we're broken, fallible people. All of us have stuff. We're not always going to get this right. But the question is, is why does this happen? Why do we experience rejection in the most delicate and intimate places in our, in our relationship? And we believe it ultimately boils down to a heart of selfishness in our relationship. If you could really tear back all the layers, it comes down to selfishness. If you think, man, if we're pursuing what our wife needs, if we're, if we're pursuing um, our wife and just considering what we need, like we're feeling it in the moment, we, we want to ha have a rendezvous with our wife, but we've not taken into account where she is emotionally, how dirty the house is, uh, and, and all the, the craziness that she's dealing with, all the kids that are running around, and how one's hanging on her trying to get, you know, you know, a toy they can't reach, and the other one wants to be fed lunch, and we're like, hey, can you like break away for me, you know? We're not considering that. There's, there's a reason why she's not going to take that as, as um, time for a romantic encounter. And I believe your wife would agree in, in that sentiment. Like, if you've not taken time to have my heart, then, then why should you have my body? Right? And so this is, these are things that, that we don't think about, but we tend to do out of routine or out of a robotic, everyday um, you know, process. When we just concern ourselves with how we feel and what we want, we're setting our wives up to feel rejected, and, and this happens on a daily basis. And also, it goes the other way. Wives, when we see our husband is expressing a need for physical intimacy, and we're only concerned with how we feel, what we need, when our expectations aren't met, and we withhold ourselves, then we're being selfish. Yeah. And selfishness is never going to achieve the goal in marriage that God has designed. And so this is, this is a fundamental need in marriage, and this is what the Spirit of God, even through the Apostle Paul, instructed Christians who are married to do. 1 Corinthians 7, 5. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Right. So our culture has made much of uh, sex and, and has perverted it quite immensely. But this is actually a very key and important component in the marriage relationship. Just as a body needs food, if you go too long without having food, you're going to begin to starve. 
Just as the body needs water, if you go too long without a drink, you're going to begin to thirst. If you go too long without food or water, you will die. And so when we're thinking about intimacy and physical intimacy in a relationship, it is the same thing for that part of our life. If you go too long without uh, physical intimacy, your relationship is going to deteriorate and be a prime uh, place, a prime uh, uh, just center for temptation and for the enemy to deal a death blow to your relationship. And many of us have, have we've, we've felt that. We've, we've had these rejections. We have these issues going on in our physical intimacy. And because of uh, doing it the way we feel or going the world's way, we've allowed these death blows into our relationship. We need to retrain ourselves to see physical intimacy as the covering God has given us from the enemy. Yeah. It's a covering it, that keeps you together, that covers you from enemy attack, and is also a source of healing and comfort from the struggles and pressures of life. That this is something that you and your spouse can share that, you, that can't be shared in any other context. And there are reasons why physical intimacy can be difficult. And sometimes there's a season where it's near impossible. And here the Apostle Paul is saying, look, there could be a time where you need to fast from physical intimacy so that you can pray, you can seek healing, you can seek restoration, breakthrough, wisdom. It's totally understandable. Th this isn't an, an excuse to use to keep from having physical intimacy. Like the, the guy comes to his wife and says, hey, you want it? And she's like, I'm fasting. <laughs> I'm, I'm fasting tonight. It's fasting. We're fasting from intimacy. You and like that voice that's way what we're too doing. much. And then you come back <laughs> the next time, still fasting, still Still fasting. When Jesus says I can stop fasting, I'll stop. You know, so this is not a weapon to be used. This is not a weapon to be used against your spouse. This is, a, it says by mutual agreement, right? I'd be like, I don't Both. agree. Both. Right, so this is mutual agreement. And in, in, in a marriage of oneness where you have each other's back, you're, you're going to be in that place of unity. So, so Satan wants nothing more. We talked to this before. Satan wants nothing more than to rip your relationship apart. He wants to just seek to steal, kill, and destroy. Everything God wants for it, he wants to rob you of it. He wants to drive a wedge in your bed. If he can control your bed, he can bring all manner of temptation and dysfunction into your relationship. If he can control your bed, then he can bring all manner of dysfunction and temptation into your relationship. And there is really a third way rejection can happen in marriage in the area of our physical intimacy. And, and it revolves around this fasting or, or not, not pursuing intimacy in a relationship. It can be used as payback for past offenses. You know, many of us would be like, well, I'm too spiritual. I wouldn't do that. But many times when we have hurt and it's unresolved, when the area of physical intimacy comes around, we're just not interested. We're just like, mm, not tonight. Right, because we have this pain. There have been many who have withheld intimacy from their spouse because of undealt with issues in their life that have occurred in their relationship. They use intimacy as a bargaining chip or as a tool, a weapon against their spouse. And when we do this, we saw right here from the Apostle Paul to the Church of Corinth, when we use intimacy as a weapon, and, and we withhold ourselves from our spouse, we're actually siding with the devil. We are siding with Satan to harm our spouse and push them into temptation. And if they fall, it ultimately harms us. 
We, do, we don't process this, but we have to think about it as the word of God is revealing. And so I'm not saying that your spouse's sin is your fault. If, if you've been cheated on, if you've been betrayed, their sin is their sin, your sin is your sin. But your sin against your spouse can open the door for them to sin against you. And so you are responsible for your part in creating the culture in your home. And what that allows the enemy to do or not do. And when we choose a selfish attitude in response to our past hurts, again, we become responsible for creating that environment, opening the door to all manner of dysfunction. If you think of the first marriage, Adam and Eve, in Genesis chapter 2 and 3, Eve created the environment for Adam to fall. She listened to the devil, believed what he was selling, and she gave the fruit to her husband. And our working together, our partnering together, if we use intimacy against one another rather than using it to bring each other together it, on either side, it's not just a woman issue, it can also be a man issue. Like, like we talked about last week, looking at pornography. We talked about how withholding yourself from your spouse and pursuing other things is damaging into your relationship along with the behaviors that come along with that. There are behaviors that, that we engage in that pull us away from our spouse where we find gratification in other means rather than finding that in the context of the marriage bed and with our spouse. All of these avenues are, an, are a way to withhold yourself from your spouse rather than clinging to your spouse that keep you pulled apart rather than bringing you together. Right, and I also just want to note that when one spouse is continually feeling rejected within the bedroom, this is going to open up an opportunity not only for them to possibly fall in this temptation area, but for them to be tempted to begin rejecting their spouse outside of the bedroom when it comes to emotional connection. If they're not connected um, physically, then they may start detaching in other ways emotionally. They might start giving less time. There might be less communication, and then their heart will become hardened as well because of the pain that they're experiencing. So then in reference to that love tank that we talked about last week, when one spouse decides, I'm going to get my way, I'm going to have it my way, or, or they're not doing this for me, so I'm not going to do that for them, like, like you said earlier, they're both going to be running on empty. Nobody's love tank is going to be receiving any investments. They're going to just be perpetually empty. Yeah, and again, the marriage bed is your place of protection from temptation, from the attack of the enemy, under a banner of love. But rejection brings violence into that camp. And so we want to encourage you to continue to pursue unity, pursue intimacy. And we're going to see this play out in Song of Solomon chapter 5. Be before we do, we're going to see how he sets it up in chapter 4. In Song of Songs chapter 4 verse 12, it's interesting uh, how he sets up chapter 5. As he speaks to his wife, he's complimenting her as he normally did. And he says, you are my private garden, my treasure, my bride, a secluded spring in a hidden fountain. You are my private garden. You're my treasure, my bride, a secluded spring and a hidden fountain. He's complimenting her, expressing his desire for her, and describes her as a secret garden. If you think about a secret garden, it's hidden to the public, which means no one else has access to it. No one else can see what's in it. No one gets to experience the benefits of it. It's hidden to the public, but it's open and private. He's got the key. He's got access, he and him alone. So she's reserving herself for him and him alone. This is their secret place, their private sanctuary. As married couples, our marriage, our bedroom, is to be like that secret garden for our spouse. 
no one else gets to get a peek, and only our spouse gets access to experience what's inside. And so she goes on to respond to him in verse 16. She says, Awake, north wind, rise up, south wind, blow on my garden and spread its fragrance all around. Come into your garden, my love. Taste its finest fruits. So here she's inviting her husband to come in and enjoy himself in his garden. It's an invitation. But chapter 5, something changes. Chapter 5, verse 2. I slept, this is the young woman, I slept but my heart was awake when I heard my lover knocking and calling. Open to me, my treasure, my darling, my dove, my perfect one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. But I responded, I have taken off my robe. Should I get dressed again? I have washed my feet. Should I get them soiled? So here she's throwing out a bunch of lame excuses, not being with her husband. Verse 4, she continues, my lover tried to unlatch the door. He really wanted to get in that door. <laughs> but my heart was and my heart was thrilled within me. So here she has a change of heart. She's excited. So I jumped up to open the door for my love, and my hands dripped with perfume. My fingers dripped with lovely myrrh as I pulled back the bolt. Verse 9, I mean verse 6, sorry, I opened to my lover, but he was gone. So too little, too late, he, was, he gave up. He turned away. My heart sank. I searched for him, but I could not find him anywhere. So now we see there's a distance between them. I called to him, but there was no reply. There's a break in intimacy. Verse 7, the night watchmen found me as they made their rounds. They beat and bruised me and stripped off my veil, those watchmen on the walls. So as we can see as this narrative plays out, by hurting her spouse, by choosing to push him away, which is simply just pushing away, she in turn ended up getting hurt, right? That's something we've already touched on. But when one spouse decides to push the other away, both spouses usually end up getting wounded. Here we see the watchmen on the wall making their rounds. They're supposed to be the good guys who are searching out the evil to get the evil out of the city. But here she is wandering around in the night. And it, if you remember from previous weeks, she said, why should I wander around looking like a prostitute or an immoral woman? So they probably identified her as a prostitute or an immoral woman, and they're trying to protect the city, and she gets wounded. And so I think of it on the opposite side. If you flip over, the Bible refers to Satan being like a lion, making his rounds, seeking who he can devour. And in this context, because there was a break in their intimacy, it left them both vulnerable for attack. They weren't united, so she ended up getting hurt. He ended up getting yeah. hurt. Again, rejection pushes away. And in a godly Christian marriage, both are to be servants, right? In and out of the bedroom, not just in the bedroom, but also out of the bedroom. He serves and she serves. If he's serving her and she's serving him, then they're meeting in the middle. They're coming together. But when one person is serving and the other one's just taking, that becomes an abusive relationship. Because one's not pouring anything back into the relationship and they're continually being taken advantage of. And so in a godly Christian marriage, we are to center on Christ, follow his example. He was a servant. And so we serve one another. We sacrifice for each other. We submit one to another, even in the area of physical intimacy, so that we're constantly being pulled back together and not torn apart. And so the question is, since we do experience this, this is a common thing, what do we do with rejection? When we felt rejection, if we've experienced this, what do we do? What's the word of God say? And I would say because if you have a pulse, you're alive, you're going to feel rejection at some level. 
We've already kind of talked about that. You're going to experience it if you haven't already. And so when you do, what do you do? Mark Driscoll said in his book, Real Marriage, that one sinner plus one sinner does not equal zero conflict or hurt. So, so you have to expect pain. You have to expect it because we're broken people. And two people that are broken coming together don't make perfection. It actually makes brokenness. So that's why we rely on Christ. So Ephesians chapter 4, 26 and 27. This verse is used for many applications, but specifically here today. It says, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. We already talked about how the enemy is trying to destroy your relationship any way he can. So what is Paul telling us here in Ephesians chapter 4? He's saying, don't sweep your hurt under the rug. Don't bury it. Don't try to overlook it. Don't try to stuff it down to avoid conflict. And out of fear of the other person not hearing you, he's saying it's important that you don't go to sleep with this pain still in the way. We have to deal with it, and not in a combative way, right? Don't let anger control the conversation. Anger is not in control. Jesus is. So we have to deal with it, but we deal with it in a godly way, in a restorative way. Notice in Song of Solomon chapter 5, you know, the, the devil was working in the wife to reject the husband, like, she, she was coming up with all these excuses. No, I can't, I can't, I, you know, this would be too inconvenient to gain a foothold in the spouse. But here in Ephesians 4, it says, if you let the sun go down when you're the one that's been hurt, the enemy can get a foothold in you. So the enemy had a foothold in the one rejecting out of selfishness, but then the enemy can get a foothold in you for having pain and not dealing with it. He's, get, he's looking for every way possible to get in there to bring dysfunction and destruction. And I heard this quote also by Mark Driscoll many years ago when we went through a different series that he taught. And it has stuck with me throughout the years. I always think about it, especially when we're having conflict. He says, when you're lying in bed angry with your backs turned towards each other, imagine Satan sleeping in the space between you. So this is a pretty graphic picture, pretty graphic image to think of the devil sleeping in your bed because nobody wants that. Oh, no. But... When there is brokenness in our intimacy and our connection and we're not working to restore it, that's exactly where he's sleeping, in the space between us. Yeah. So what do we do if we've been rejected? If you have felt rejection in your marriage, especially in this area, the first thing you need to do is, number one, you need to seek out your spouse for reconciliation. You need to talk to them. Like you said already, don't let that offense fester. Let it turn into moldy cheese that nobody's taking care of you have to take out the trash you have to address it and this might be intimidating it might be scary you might not want another conflict or or more um just dysfunction to rise up but we have to address it so don't shove it down don't ignore it express your feelings the best way you know how Going back to week two, we talked about um, those intimacy killers and how to speak in a more healthy way. Try to use I verbiage as much as possible. When you did this, I felt this way. When you do this, this makes me feel. But not addressing it is not an option. Yeah. You have to get it out. When you expose it in the light, that's where Jesus can do his work. That's where he can bring Amen. healing. The Good. second thing we need to learn how to do, and this is a must, and those are not my words. Those are words from Jimmy Evans in one of his books. We have to offer forgiveness, number two. We have to learn how to forgive. Forgiveness is a must. When you think about a marriage, a marriage is unique in that there's no other relationship on earth where someone can potentially 
hurt you, betray you, break your trust, damage your emotions to that same extent, and then still be allowed to be in your life. Do you understand? If it was anyone else, you'd cut them out. Anyone. Bye, Felicia. <laughs> but in a marriage, the goal is to work toward restoration every single time. So we have to forgive. We have to forgive. We have to forgive on the daily, mm -hmm. not just every once in a while. We have to make it a habit. And this is actually a learned habit because we're not born just knowing or wanting, desiring to forgive. We're born <laughs> sinful and carnal and we want things our way. So we have to learn how to forgive. Ephesians 4.32. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Yeah. So if we want to learn, if we want to get to the place where we can forgive like Christ, we have to learn how to forgive. Um, Jimmy Evans, in his book, 21 Day Inner Healing Journey, he says of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness, when we don't forgive, is like an invisible umbilical cord that ties us to the pain of our past and keeps feeding our minds and our hearts with toxic thoughts and emotions. So what this is saying is when we're unforgiving, we're not doing anything to hurt our spouse or to make them pay. It's all about us, and we're harming ourselves. We're harming ourselves yeah. with toxic thoughts, toxic emotions, a toxic cycle, and we're not going to get out of it. And they might be fine over there, but if we're stuck in unforgiveness, we're the ones that are going to hurt. Yeah, I heard it said that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to get sick. It, it just doesn't make any sense. So forgiveness is the pathway to freedom and healing. We see this all through scripture. Um, we need to forgive like Jesus forgave us. Think about how did Jesus forgive you? All right, we talked about this in the last series. He offered his blood on the altar before the Lord at the end of time, making all of our sins that we would ever commit through our entire lifetime past tense, which is, which is why your salvation is secure in Christ. All your sin is forgiven. It's all been cleansed, even though you haven't experienced some of it yet. It's pretty amazing. And so we're forgiven even before we've even committed the sin because of what Christ accomplished on the cross. So he has forgiven every sin, past, present, and future, even before we've asked. And so if we look at the way he's forgiven us, here Paul is saying in Ephesians 4, we need to forgive others the way Christ has forgiven us. And forgiveness is not just saying, I forgive you, even though that's important. It's important to utter those words, to let that life come out to counteract the death that's been going on in, in the break in the relationship. But forgiveness is more than just saying the words, I forgive you. 1 Corinthians 13, 5, in God's love, definition of love, he says, love doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. So not only has God forgiven us of everything, in Psalms it says he's separated our sin as far as the east is from the west in Psalm 103. That, that it's, it's beyond his, his recollection. Does that mean that he doesn't know that you've done it? No, he's just choosing not to acknowledge it. He's choosing not to bring it up. And so love keeps no record of wrongs. It wipes the slate clean. This doesn't mean as, as fallible, broken people, we're not going to remember the pain that we've been through. We're not going to remember these situations. They're not going to be something that jogs our mind or triggers us to go back to that moment where we had the offense or that break in our relationship. But what it does mean is we don't let that moment become a continual contention or point of accusation in our relationship. But we allow it as an opportunity to bestow grace on the one that harmed us. 
And sometimes this is a process. I mean, yeah. this might take a lot of time, depending on the offense in your relationship. Yeah, I want to I highlight Hebrews chapter 10, verse 18. This stuck out to me it, just in a new way this week. It says, when sins have been forgiven, there's no need to offer any more sacrifices. So if you think of the Old Testament, when they sinned, they had to offer sacrifice. And they had to do this year after year, day after day, depending on all the things that were required in the law. But yet when Jesus gave his life and he offered forgiveness, nothing else was required. It was paid. It was paid in full. And so when you offer forgiveness, what you're saying is the debt is satisfied. It's paid in full. I will no longer hold you responsible for owing me anything in this area. And that can be one of the biggest difficulties. But yet is nonetheless what Jesus modeled for us. If you think about Jesus on the cross, I mean, think about that moment. In the moment of his murder, he cries out, Father, what? For? Because why? They don't know what they're doing. Your spouse doesn't know what they're doing. And neither do you when you reject them. We're, we're so broken you know, we all have sinned and fallen short. We don't really know the ramifications of our sin. If we did, we wouldn't do it. So, so we're no better than the one that we're married to. Because just as they sinned against us, we've sinned against them. We don't know what we're doing. So we forgive the way Christ has forgiven. And we release our hands from it. We say, God, I'm turning them over to you. You now can deal with them on this issue. I'm taking my hands off of it. And that's when the healing can really begin. So the second question we need to ask is, what if you're the one who's been rejecting your spouse? What do you do if you're the one that's been doing reject, been handing out rejection to your spouse? Yeah. And a lot of times this goes both ways. Yeah. Sometimes we're rejected, sometimes we're the one doing the rejecting. So if you've been rejecting your spouse and you know it, and maybe you don't know it because they haven't brought it up, but after this, this series, they're going to bring it up in a healthy way, and you guys are going to restore it. <laughs> the first thing you need to do Amen. if you've been rejecting is repent. You need to repent. You need to be honest and open with your spouse. You need to come before them humbly. You need to let them know you're sorry. You're changing your mind. You're going to stop doing that. You're going to commit to doing something new. Um, true repentance, according to, again, Mark Driscoll, we reference him a lot this week, in his book Real Marriage, needs to include three things. Confession contrition, which is actually just your heart being broken for what you've done, and then change. If it doesn't include those things, it's not true repentance. It's worldly sorrow, which Paul refers to. Yeah. I don't know the reference. In first Corinthians. Yes, First Corinthians. That's why I have you around. Okay, the second thing you need to do if you have been rejecting your spouse after you've repented, this is so, so, so important. Don't just assume because you said you're sorry, everything should be good. You need to provide restitution, and restitution is rebuilding trust. Um, I want to get personal for a minute. I said this to you the other day, but I thought I would share it, and I didn't tell you I was going to surprise. Oh, no. But, no, it's good. Um, when there was a break in our trust and our um, connection in our marriage, Joey went above and beyond to make sure that I felt safe. He did everything that I requested, even if it sounded crazy and weird and extreme. He was willing to be as extreme and weird and crazy to prove to me that his heart had changed, that he was different, that he was going in a different way. If he had not done those things, I told him the other day, if you had not done those things, I don't know where we would be right now. Because my heart needed that to feel safe, to feel loved, and to really know that he was turning 
and moving in a different direction, that he meant what he said. But you're worth it. And so, Holy Spirit. Um, this doesn't mean you have the right to demand anything. Yeah. That's sinful. It's selfish. It's controlling. Um, but your spouse should be willing to go above and beyond to yeah. make sure you feel secure. And like I said a minute ago, this isn't something that happens in, you know, I think we put we put mental time limits and time frames on things a lot. We think, well, in a couple months we should be good. Well, it's been a year. We're still struggling with this. Sometimes you have to provide restitution for a hurt for a long time, longer than you think you might have to. And that doesn't mean they're making you pay. They might have triggers or there might be just emotional responses from trauma in the past that bring something up. And if you can both learn to address it and deal with it in a way that pushes you towards unity, not ignoring it, not stuffing it away, yeah. it's going to bring you so much closer together. So as we continue on in our reading between this young man and young woman, these newlyweds, um, chapter 6 is where we're going to pick back up. Verse 1, she recognizes what she had done, and she goes after her husband. She starts searching for him. Verse 1, the young women are asking her, where has your lover gone, a woman of rare beauty? Which way did he turn so we can help you find him? Verse 2, my lover has gone down to his garden to his spice beds to browse in the gardens and gather the lilies. I am my lover's and my lover is mine. He browses among the lilies. So she searches for him, she finds him, and then this is his response when she finds him after this break in their intimacy. He says to her, he gives a bunch of compliments that we skipped. It's just, it's a lot. And then he finally says in verse 8, even among 60 queens and 80 concubines and countless young women, I would still choose my dove, my perfect one, the favorite of her mother, dearly loved by the one who bore her. The young women see her and praise her. Even queens and royal concubines sing her praises. So what I love about this picture, this story, is we need to notice that the one who rejected was the one who pursued for reconciliation. She sinned against him, so she took it upon herself to go pursue him for reconciliation. And what I love is that the one who was rejected didn't throw it back in her face. Right? It wasn't like, well, you did this to me. Or, man, I was knocking forever. My knuckles got bloody. I wanted in that room, and you didn't, you know, he didn't throw it back in her face. What did he do? He responded in forgiveness, and he said, I would still choose you no matter what. No matter what. She repents. He forgives and they're reconciled again. We believe God desires to bring this kind of healing to every area of hurt in our lives, in our marriages, our relationships. Jesus said, and this is so profound, he said, I was anointed by the Holy Spirit to heal the brokenhearted. And every time we have these rejections, these hurts, it's like a piece of our heart gets broken off. And Jesus said, you know why I've come? I've come to help put you back together to heal your broken hearted. And so we desire and we believe that God has healing for every relationship today. Again, it's inevitable that rejection is going to occur in a relationship, but we need to make a commitment as brothers and sisters in Christ, as children of God, as Christians who call themselves by the name of Christ, we need to commit to marry God's word, not simply date it when it's convenient. We need to be so committed to the word of God that even in the most difficult seasons, 
that its truth is our standard for truth and nothing else. Because it's in those difficult times that the enemy is going to have a prime opportunity to do what he does. But Jesus is promising us if we cling to him, we submit to his word, that his power will be evident in our lives. So no matter how we feel, we submit to what God is asking us. And what we'll discover in that moment when we submit to the Lord, it says, submit yourself to the Lord, and at the right time, he'll lift you up. When we submit to the Lord, we'll discover the breakthrough power of God to heal and restore what's been broken. But we're not going to find it if we keep going our own way or doing how, what we feel. We'll only find it when we're true and faithful to the word of God. Yeah, that's good. So our goal for ourselves, we, we went over this, this homework already, and also for you all, obviously, is that we work at becoming better spouses that we allow the Spirit of God to work in us, mm -hmm. to draw us closer together, to make us better servants. So we have some more homework. So you know doing homework pays yes. throughout this series. You've, you've caught on to that. So do your homework this week. Um, we have two questions we'd like you to ask your spouse. And be willing and ready for them to give you an honest answer. So pick a good time to do this. Not at 1 a.m. Yeah, don't, don't shotgun Not these questions. Lunch. Not so when you're hungry or hangry. Making it harder to find uh, peace. Number one, ask your spouse from a one to 10, where am I as a servant outside of the bedroom and what can I do to improve? Where am I as a servant for you? How well do I serve you? You know, you may be thinking you're doing a great job and your spouse might have a completely different idea. So I want to give Joey some props really quick. This is so cute. I don't think he expected me to say yes, but I did. So I, I had a different uh, tank top on this morning with this, and I didn't like it. So I was complaining, and I said, I don't have anything to wear. I don't like this shirt. Um, it's not summer colors. I don't know why I was so weird about that. But anyway, he's like, well, do you want me to go to Walmart and pick you up something? And I don't think he expected me to say yes. I think he thought I'd say, no, it's fine. But I said, yes, I do. And he goes, oh, well, I only have like 15 minutes. Okay. And so he went to Walmart this morning, and he FaceTimed me and showed me different options and brought me home this cute pink tank top. And I just thought that was so sweet. I think he was trying to improve his score, you know, his 1 to 10. How am I? No, I'm just they're just joking. She might have a 3-0 at shipped. I was having a 3-0 at home, so we've got to improve that. It was not. Okay, second question. Homework this week. From 1 to 10, ask your spouse, where am I as a servant in the bedroom, and what can I do to improve? How well do I serve you in the bedroom? And why do you not feel satisfied? Where, where are areas I can improve? Um, oh, that's yours. Yeah. You go ahead and take that. So, so remember those two spouse. questions. Yes. Yeah, so that's to have conversation together. What? We would encourage you to do this week is there are three questions to ask alone with the Holy Spirit. And as you're doing your personal time with the Lord, you're praying, you're spending time with the Lord, ask yourself and ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, where am I harboring the pain of rejection and offense in my heart? What areas am I harboring pain and offense? Number two, what do I need to repent of? What are the things I've been doing that are out of your will or to hurt my spouse or in my life? And number three, what or who do I need to forgive? And God help me do that. And you might have to ask that same thing every morning for the next year. But 
when you have a posture of humility and you're humbling yourself before the Lord, at the right time, you're going to find that breakthrough and that healing. And it's going to revolutionize your marriage. When, when we no longer have the monkey on our back that we've been carrying weighing us down, it is going to set us free to step even closer to who God's created us to be. And we know that, that that's what God has for each and every one of us. And so we want to close in prayer, and then we want to open just for a time of response. Tony's going to lead us in a song, and, and we want to give you opportunity. If there's something that the Spirit of God is speaking to you right now, just an area where you need to offer forgiveness, we're going to be down here. You can kneel by yourself, or if you'd like someone to pray with you, we're going to invite our prayer team to come forward and spend some time in prayer, and then uh, in then a few moments that we're going to um, be dismissed. But Lord God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that no matter what we encounter in this life, no matter what pains or brokenness, no matter how much rejection, Lord, your power is greater, your name is sweeter, and your love covers a multitude of sins. God, I'm so thankful for uh, second chances and restoration, how we've been able to experience that even in our own marriage and our own lives. And Lord, I thank you how you don't waste a hurt and that you don't give up until the work's done. Your word says... He who began the good work will see it through to completion. And God, I know when you brought us together with our spouses, you began a good work. And so God, we just speak life and hope and encouragement over every hurting relationship. God, I speak life and hope over every uh, single person today, whether they've lost a spouse and are find themselves widowed, or maybe they've not had the chance or the privilege to be married. God, I pray for that hope to just surround them. You promised to be a husband to the widow, to be near, uh, near to the brokenhearted and to uh, the meek. God, and I just pray that your presence would fill this room with your grace and your mercy. And God, I know that as we talk about these things, it could be uh, a point of bringing up painful memories and bringing up hurtful pasts. But God, you expose things into the light, not to leave them broken, but to bring healing. And so God, we just lift our hurts up to you today. We lift up every rejection, every betrayal, every moment where we were told or made to think we're not good enough, we're not acceptable, we're not worthy. And God, we shine the light of truth on it this morning. And I just speak to the one that's feeling that way right now that you're wrestling with that. And I just proclaim that the truth of that first song we sang, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that the one who created you thinks you're to die for, that he gave it all to demonstrate his love for you. And so I just speak that truth over your heart right now. We just cancel the lies of the enemy that are filling your mind and your heart, and we're saying you are worthy of love. You are valuable. You are chosen. You are precious. And God, I just pray that your presence would just fill them right now in Jesus' name. Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, that knows in their heart that they want to they know Jesus, they want to know that they know that if they were to die today, they would spend eternity in heaven. They want to come to new life in Christ, that I pray, God, as we go into the time of prayer, they would come forward as well. And that they'd take that step of faith. Right now, where you are, whatever you've been going through, if you need physical healing, you have brokenness in your body, you have things you want to take before the Lord, when we stand, you come forward and we'll pray. In Jesus' name.
us at Vertical Life Church. We want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you, and God bless.